This afternoon we come to the teaching of God's Word as it is summarized in Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This Lord's Day deals with the topic of the means of grace, the Word and the sacraments which God has given to us. And so in connection with that, let us read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we will read the whole chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Hear now the word of the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to, the, to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. As mentioned, the sermon this afternoon will be based on Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And so let us turn there together to read that Lord's Day on page 539 of the Book of Praise. Lord's Day 25, here the church confesses, Since then faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, 
indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ, one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the new covenant? Two, holy baptism and the holy supper. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the last couple of Lord's Days in the Catechism leading up to Lord's Day 25, the Catechism has been dealing with the doctrine of justification. The Catechism has been dealing with that glorious doctrine of our salvation by grace through faith. The doctrine in which we confess that because, because of the work of Christ, His perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness can be ours. We can be declared righteous before the living God. Christ's righteousness is our righteousness. And that is such an awesome truth that we confess. But it is fair to ask, to say, okay, I believe that Christ alone can be my righteousness before God. I know that my works cannot earn anything, I have nothing with which to bargain with God. Yes, I believe all of that, but how can Christ's obedience be counted as my own? How do I make it mine? And how can I know for certain that it really and truly is my own? Well, we know the answer to that in part from Lord's Day 23, which gets at it when it says that we are righteous before God only by true faith in Jesus Christ. And that the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ are imputed to me. They are credited to my account. But where does this true faith come from? How do I get it? These are the questions that Lord's Day 25 deal with. And in this Lord's Day, we confess that true faith, faith which lays hold of the promises it, and believes in Jesus Christ, it is the work of God alone from start to finish. Faith is the Holy Spirit's project, so to speak. The Holy Spirit is building something. He is building his church. As we heard this morning, Christ is gathering his church from the world. And the tools which the Holy Spirit uses to work and to strengthen the gift of faith in our hearts are called the means of grace. And so I proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon concerning these means of grace as it is summarized in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25, under the following theme and points. The Holy Spirit uses the means of grace to build up the church in the faith. And we see three things in developing this theme, first, the cornerstone of faith. Secondly, the, the creation of faith. And third, the confirmation of faith. For our first point this afternoon, we see the cornerstone of faith. Before we get to the topic that Lord's Day 25 begins with, of the origin or the creation of faith, where does it come from? We look, first of all, at the basis of for our faith, the foundation or the cornerstone of what we believe as Christians, as God's people. 
At the center of the Christian faith is Christ. This is evident from the name. We are called Christians. That means we are followers of Christ. We believe in him. We put our hope in him. And as we can read in Hebrews 12, verse 2, we look to him as the founder and perfecter of our faith. This title, the founder and perfecter of our faith, speaks to the fact that by his marvelous work of redemption, Christ has laid the basis and the foundation upon which our faith rests. Indeed, in his work as our high priest, Christ suffered the terrible weight of God's wrath and was humbled unto death on account of our sin. He suffered during all the time that he lived on earth, but especially at the end, so that by his perfect obedience, he could be the perfect founder of our salvation, the perfect foundation of our faith. This is what Lord's Day 25 is getting at in his discussion of the word and sacraments. We see this especially in question and answer 67. There we read statements such as in the question, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation. And in the answer that our entire salvation rests on, the, on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. Christ and his work of redemption, they're the sole object of and the sole basis for our faith. That is why the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 6, quote, quoting from the Old Testament, he says of Christ, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The chosen and precious cornerstone is Christ. He is the one on whom our hope and our salvation rests. Do you see that, brothers and sisters? Boys and girls, do you see that the suffering and death of Christ throughout his whole life, but especially in his sacrifice on the cross, in his suffering and death, do you see that that is the only ground of our salvation? This is the gospel message. This is the message of God's word that Christ died to save sinners. This is the message that Christ's apostles preached all over the world. The message on which the church of Christ was established. That is what Paul says in a reading from this afternoon in verse 2. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul preached Christ and Him crucified. He preached that the Son of God came down to earth as a man to suffer and to die on a cross to save His people. Do you see that, beloved? And do you believe it? Do you believe that Christ suffered and died to save you and me? He suffered and died to save all of us sinners, no matter what you have done, no matter how bad our sin. Believe in him, the cornerstone, and you will not be put to shame. God is building Zion. God is building 
up his church upon the cornerstone, upon Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10 and 12, immediately following our reading from this afternoon, Paul is speaking of the believers in Corinth as God's building. And he says in verses 10 through 11, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. God is building his church on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our faith. This is what the Word and the sacraments, the topic of Lord's Day 25, are all about. Both the Word and the sacraments, they focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation. And so, the Holy Spirit, He uses these means of grace. The Holy Spirit uses the Word as it is preached and the sacraments as we partake in them to focus our faith on Christ. And in that way, He builds up His church in the faith. And so that brings us to our second point this afternoon in which we see the creation of faith. So we must believe in Christ, the cornerstone of our faith, because his one sacrifice on the cross is the only ground of our salvation. But how does this happen? Where does faith come from? Surely it does not come from ourselves. Surely it does not come from our own hearts, because the scriptures teach us that the human heart is corrupt. And defiled with sin, it is the source of wickedness, not the source of life-giving faith. We see this, for example, in Genesis 6, verse 5, before God punished the earth with the flood. It says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read that the heart is deceitful above all things, And the Lord Jesus teaches in Matthew 15, verse 19, that out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. And so that is why in Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says that, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. We are saved through faith which does not come from ourselves. It is not something that naturally springs up from our own heart. Our faith, it's a gift of God's grace. It has been given to us. That is why the Catechism says in answer 65 that faith comes from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. We will look at the sacraments in our third point, but for now we focus on the first means of grace, the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is a means of grace because it is an instrument or a tool that the Spirit uses to work faith in our hearts. We can see this most clearly in Romans 10, verse 13 through 17. In Romans 10, verse 13 through 17, we read, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless it is sent? Unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are, those, are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. In this passage from Romans, Paul is making a logical argument that all people can be saved if they call on the name of the Lord. But in order to call on the name of the Lord, they must believe. But they won't believe unless they hear And they won't hear unless someone preaches to them. And no one is going to preach to them unless they are sent by God. And so do you see the importance of the preaching that Paul highlights here? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The preaching of the word of Christ, the gospel of salvation, is the primary means of grace. It is the most important tool in the Spirit's toolbox, so to speak. The primary way in which he works this gift of faith in our hearts. In 1 Peter 1, verse 23, when speaking to believers, the Apostle Peter says, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. And then he says later on in verse 25, And this Word... This living and abiding word of God, he says, this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so we see that the preaching of the good news, the proclamation of the gospel, it is powerful. It is the very word of God that is proclaimed to you by the minister. And that word is powerful. It creates life where before there was death. As Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We can see an example of the power and the effect of the word of God as it is preached in Ezekiel 37. When the prophet Ezekiel prophesies the word of God to the valley of dead and dry bones, and the bones they come together, And the bones are connected with sinews and flesh comes on the bones. They were dead. And then they were alive. It was a miracle. It was God working through his word to bring what was dead to life. And he still does the same thing today, congregation. We need to believe that. We need to believe that it is through the word of God as it is preached, as it is proclaimed to us. It is through that word that we come to believe that Jesus is the the Christ, the Son of God who is crucified, who is sacrificed on the cross on our behalf. Now the preaching of the word of God not only works faith, It not only causes people to be born again, but it also strengthens our faith and it it feeds our faith. The preaching is not just for the unbeliever to hear and believe. Yes, it is for that, but it is also for the believer to hear the message of the gospel again and again 
week after week. It is for the believer to hear on a regular basis the promise of the gospel that God graciously grants forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. In John 21, when Jesus restores Peter, who had denied him three times, he commands him, saying three times, feed my sheep. In other words, our Lord was commissioning Peter and all pastors to take care of my sheep that are in your care. Proclaim to them the word of God. Feed my sheep. Give them the words of eternal life so that their faith may be fed and strengthened and it can grow. And so we see, congregation, the importance of the preaching of God's word. It is a central aspect of our worship service. It is where God comes to speak with his people. Just think of that for a moment, that in the preaching and the reading of the word of God, the creator of the universe comes to speak with a people, with a people he has chosen for himself out of the world. He has called his own and he comes to speak to them. It is a marvelous privilege to hear God speak to us. And that is why we must not neglect the preaching. It is so important for us to be in church with God's people as often as we are able to hear God speak to us through his word. The preaching of the gospel is a means of grace to us. An instrument by which God imparts his grace to us. Using this means, he works in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. He works faith in us. He strengthens our faith. He grows our confidence that his word is true and that his promise is steadfast and faithful. And that for the sake of Christ, God has granted me and you forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and salvation. It is worth noting for a moment that the preaching does not automatically work faith on its own. As Paul says in that section we read from Romans 10, in verse 16 he says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. We know that not everyone who hears the gospel preached responds in faith and obedience. It is not a natural inclination to hear the word of God proclaimed and to think, yes, that, that sounds about right. It doesn't make sense to the natural human mind to believe in a God that I cannot see who made the world out of nothing and to believe in a Savior who died and who rose again from the dead to save me from my sin. Nobody's going to believe that except for the work of the Spirit of God. Nobody says that on their own. This doesn't come from human wisdom. As we read in our text in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Earlier in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says something similar. He says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, 
And we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Quite frankly, the gospel, the wisdom of God, is stupidity. It is backwards thinking to those who don't believe. It doesn't make sense to the mind of the natural person, the person who has not been regenerated and born again by the Spirit of God, because the gospel was not conceived in a human mind. It takes the mind of Christ. It takes the mind of a spiritual person to believe the word of God because it was Christ who gave us his word. It is not the word of man, it is the word of God. Now this spiritual person is not the kind of person when we, who, when we say, oh, he's so spiritual, this isn't the person we're speaking of, but we're speaking of the person who's spiritual because they've been regenerated by the Spirit of God, and so they believe. It refers to the person in whom the Spirit of God has worked faith, so that when they hear the gospel preached, they don't hear it with natural ears, so to speak, but they hear it with the ears of faith. This comes from the Spirit, as Paul says in verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And so we see, beloved, that it is the Spirit who enlightens our minds to hear and to believe the gospel. We rely on the Spirit to hear and to understand the things that God has revealed to us in his word. And so we must pray. We must pray and ask God for the Holy Spirit. Lord's Day 45 says that God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. So pray. Pray for that loved one who seems to have walked away from the Lord. Pray that God would work in them by his Spirit with the word to bring them back to, in repentance and faith. When your mind is swirling with doubts, or you have a hard time understanding and really believing God's promises, and you ask yourself, would God really save me? Use the means of grace that God has given to us and pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to teach you and to assure you that your salvation does not depend on yourself but it rests on Christ's one sacrifice on the cross for us. And so that brings us to our third point this afternoon in which we, sh we shall see the confirmation of faith. The second means of grace that God has given to us in the, is the sacraments. The sacraments of holy baptism and the holy supper. Now the catechism defines sacraments as holy, visible signs and seals that were instituted by God. The sacraments were, not give, were given to us sorry, by God to confirm our faith. They were not given to us for us to confirm that we have faith. In other words, they are not something that we do to show that we have faith. No, these sacraments are given to us to confirm us in the faith. 
by the use of the sacraments, we become strengthened in our conviction that God's promises to us are true and sure because the sacraments demonstrate to our eyes the truth, the reality, the validity of the gospel. Whereas the word as it is preached is the gospel proclaimed to our ears, we could say that the sacraments that we receive are the gospel proclaimed to our eyes. There are signs that point to the reality that by faith we partake in the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished by his death on the cross. This is true for both sacraments. In Romans 6 verse 3, it says that those who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. This means that our baptism is a sign. It is a visible picture of the fact that we identify with Christ in his death and resurrection. Believing in Christ, we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 6, 11. Similarly, for the Lord's Supper, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, that by celebrating the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. By eating and by drinking, we proclaim that Christ's body was truly broken, that his blood was really poured out for us for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And so the sacraments, they're visible signs that God has graciously given to us. He did not need to give us these sacraments. In fact, the sacraments aren't even necessary for us in order to have faith. But in his kindness, God has given them to us because of the weakness and the frailty of our faith that we experience. In the sacraments, we can see with our eyes and we can taste with our mouths the salvation that God has brought about for us through Christ's death and resurrection. In other words, the sacraments, they really show that Christ really died for us. And that by believing in his sacrifice, our sins are really and truly forgiven. And in this way, the Spirit uses the sacraments to strengthen our faith and our confidence. But the sacraments are not just visible signs of God's work of redemption. They are also seals to us of the promise of the gospel. A seal is a guarantee that something is real. Our form for baptism says something similar about baptism, that it is a trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. It is a guarantee that the promise of the gospel, that God graciously grants forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross, it is a guarantee that that promise is true and that God is faithful to his promise. By the sacraments, God declares to us and he gives us a guarantee that the promise is for us and that he is true to his word. When we use the sacraments, the, the Holy Spirit uses them to instill in our hearts the assurance and the confidence that we are partakers of what God has promised. We can say that the water poured on my head in the water of baptism, in the Lord's Supper, the, the bread that I eat and the wine that I drink, 
are for me. This was Christ's body broken for me. The promise of the gospel is given for me. And so we see then, congregation, that God has graciously, graciously given us the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper to give us the confirmation of faith, the assurance of faith. By the sacraments, he helps us to persevere. And these sacraments, they focus our faith, pointing us to Christ and his sacrifice. And so we need to value these sacraments. We ought not to skip out on the Lord's Supper if we can help it, or to think too flippantly about it when we do participate. Neither should we neglect our baptism and think that the promises that God made to us are not really valid for me. For we have received the sign and seal from God of his promises. And we need to believe that the Holy Spirit really and truly does use the sacraments to strengthen our faith. And yet the sacraments, they never work on their own. The sacraments never work apart from the word. They only declare visibly to our eyes what the gospel declares to our ears. And so we need to be clear that as wonderful as the sacraments are, we should never elevate them above the preaching. The word, the preaching, this is a central element of our worship and it should be our priority when we go to church to listen to the preaching. We don't just go to church to sing nice songs and to meet the people that we like. We go to hear God's word to us. And so we must ask ourselves, is listening to God's word our priority? Or could it be that sometimes we come to church for other reasons? Or sometimes we think that coming to church for Lord's Supper is more important than coming to church in a regular Sunday service. We ought to value both the preaching of the word and the sacraments because they are both means of God's grace. They are both instruments that the Spirit uses to impress upon us the truth of Christ's sacrifice, that his sacrifice is the cornerstone of our faith, the foundation of our salvation. By the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts and builds us up in the faith so that we are fed each week and we can grow up into maturity of faith. In baptism in the Lord's Supper, God demonstrates to us his gracious gift of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. He gives us a visible proof and a guarantee that he is our God and that we are his people. And so let us praise the Lord for his glorious gospel of the forgiveness of sins. Let us thank him for his kindness and his mercy toward us in giving the means of grace which the Spirit uses to build us up, which the Spirit of Christ uses to build up his church in the faith. Amen.